Our scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 12 all the way through chapter 22, verse 20. And this is a reminder that what seems like things that are insignificant or significant but not necessarily important enough, there are things that God cares about. Anything that we care about, He cares about. And here are some examples of that directly from His Word. Exodus chapter 12, beginning with, um, 21, beginning with verse 12. Moses writes, Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or mother or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay, as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. When a man opens a pit, when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his." When one man's ox butts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also shall they share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall, be, he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of, in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. 
If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, or sheep, cloak, or any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it's torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it's injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, he came for its hiring fee. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. He shall not permit a sorceress to live, Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, I know most of you were coming to church this morning to figure out what we're supposed to do with the ox that gores a man, so I hope you got that information. You could be asking yourself, is it a good idea to spend your money and your time in the church, or whether it's safe to maybe even increase your money? and your time and your commitment in the church, or even this church. Let me tell you that this church, and every church, is a room full of sinners. So we're going to mess each other up. We're going to have conflict. We're not going to agree. We're not going to do things perfectly. And that's why these laws are in Exodus chapter 21 and 22. They're going to enter a land and they are going to legitimately mess up the application of the Ten Commandments. And what's going to happen? How can there be justice? How can there be holiness? Well, God's Word has to address all of their life for that group of sinners. And so even though some of these very particular applications no longer apply to us today because it's in the ceremonial law, the principles will apply. Firstly, and very, very generally, uh, the verses read in chapter 21 are going to help us understand caring about our neighbor's life. The verses read in chapter uh, 22 
are going to somewhat shift, very generally, caring about our neighbor's property. And I'm going to go through several different points in each of those two main points, because all kinds of things are addressed, because we get ourselves in all kinds of messes in our personal lives and with each other, and they have to be addressed. We have to call sin, sin. So here we go. Caring about our neighbor's life. Uh, What about homicide? Chapter 21, verses 12 to 14 deal with the breaking of the sixth commandment in particular. Well, there is deliberate homicide, which is punished by death to hopefully deter other death. There is the unintentional killing of a person, which eventually would be sending a person to a city of refuge. That's not set up yet. So someone unintentionally, maybe accidentally, kills a person, uh, the book of Joshua is going to map out cities where those individuals can flee so that they are, themselves are not killed. Verse 13 mentions an unpremeditated killing that was not accidental. Uh, an example of this would be 1 Samuel 24. God allows uh, or lets someone fall in, falls into someone else's hands as David creeps up onto Saul at night. Now, he chooses not to take Saul's life, but all of these instances are covered, whether it's intentional, whether it's accidental, whether it's unpremeditated, but not accidental. All of these things have to be taken into account. Why? Because the sixth commandment's not an option. And the sixth commandment can be applied in different ways. We'll continue to see how it can be today uh, in these sets of verses. But homicide has to be dealt with. You can't just let it go, let it happen, turn a blind eye. What about injury to parents? Stumbling across the fifth commandment. Uh, Verses 15 and 17, there is a high cost for striking or cursing parents with the death penalty, which shows the high value of the family as reflected as we've just said in the fifth commandment. The book of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to map out how children are supposed to be raised up in the covenant. Well, it's my parents. There there has to be some type of family structure in place which the Israelite community will, will partner with. But if the family disintegrates and is destroyed, that is a huge covenantal problem, which is why the second table of the law starts with the family. But obviously, there are going to be children who are going to be deeply rebellious. But Dr. Wright points out that there's no evidence of capital punishment being used against someone in the Old Testament for this purpose. So one wonders... Maybe the death penalty is the maximum rather than the mandatory sentence of dealing with extremely unruly children. Although, if one kills their own parents, you would see the reason for capital punishment. There's something interesting, though, about this law regarding 
Babylonian law. Because remember, God's giving these commandments and these rules in the context of other nations. This includes the mother. The Babylonian code of Hammurabi does not. Both parents are to be respected, are to be listened to, are to be understood to be some sense of authority in the household. And so therefore, disobedience, the striking, or the cursing and the disrespecting of parents is very, very significant in the context of Israelite culture as again shown by this exceedingly heavy penalty. Okay, so what about, what about kidnapping? Forced slavery. Verse 16. This is the only type of theft, in a sense, which could require the death penalty. Because this wasn't just theft of property, but putting a life in danger. And the prophet Amos will give evidence that the Philistines and the Phoenicians should be condemned for doing this very thing, for for just kidnapping people, taking them as prisoners of war, or just man-stealing and putting people's lives in danger and giving them no human rights. God is very clear. That's never been okay. That is condemnable with capital punishment with regards to Old Testament law. What about injuries? Verses 18 and 19. Well, he says they're going to fight. Some people are going to get injured when there's fighting. What happens if someone is injured? Maybe they can't go to work. Maybe they're disabled. Maybe temporarily or permanently. What happens? Well, the offender should make sure that there's a thorough healing of the victim. And there has to be compensatory damages to make things right financially in the workplace for that individual. Imagine that happening in the house of God's people. Well, God assumed that it would, and it did, fighting to the point of, of physical harm towards each other. Even if there isn't a loss of life, the fact that a human life has been disrupted, a loss of income, all of that has to be addressed. And it is. In Old Testament law, What about injury or death to servants? Individuals who in many other cultures at the time had no rights, had no claim to anything. Verses 20 and 21 are uh, hard to process. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. There is no other equitable law in the ancient Near Eastern history like this law. In any other culture, 
if you owned a person and someone worked for you, you could treat them however you wanted, and there was no consequence necessarily. And God says no. They have rights. There's a way for them to be treated. We saw last week that this word for slave is more of an indentured servant trying to deal with his debt or poverty. And he went into this situation willingly in the Old Testament Israelite culture. Universally, in other nations, you could kidnap someone, own them, kill them with no recourse. Babylonians, Egyptians, Phoenicians, Assyrians, no mercy, no recourse. Not the way in Israel. You are responsible for those who work under you to care for them, provide for them. If you kill them, they shall be avenged, meaning God himself or God through the elders or judges in that community would use capital punishment. Which is, again, hopefully to deter the mistreatment of individuals which in all other cultures had no rights. Verse 21 is protection, in a sense, for the master. For maybe a a misaccusation for death caused by some other reason. Verses 26 and 27 are equally unique in that no other nation had laws against injuring one's own servants. There just simply weren't other laws like this. You could just mistreat people who worked for you. Treat them as property. Treat them however you wanted. Which is what's going to happen to the Israelites when they go to Syria and Babylon in slavery. Which is what was happening to them in Egypt. God says no. You can't treat them however you want. An unjust injury has to be addressed by the leadership of the Israelites to uphold even the very implications of the sixth commandment. Even if death hasn't occurred, or the loss of life, if life has been maligned in some way, then people have to pay. People have to make it right. It has to be addressed. Dealing with other rights of people who are exceedingly vulnerable. What about pregnant women? Chapter 21, verses 22 through 24, there is an injury, but it is merely of of collateral damage. Two guys are duking it out, and one of them runs into or accidentally hits a lady who's pregnant. Well, it's sadly going to happen in a room full of sinners. If the baby is delivered normally, there's simply a fine. Because we protect women. If there's harm or death to the baby in utero or to the woman, then the law of Lex Talionis is invoked because the woman and the baby are living human beings. That's always been the case. Both lives are protected. If there's some type of harm to either one of them, there's compensatory damages. If there's death, 
then that has to be righted. Because life is to be promoted and protected. Babylonians, the Code of Hammurabi, prescribes various fines depending on how far along the pregnancy was. But if death occurred, then the offender's daughter was killed. Which seems exceedingly ludicrous. But welcome, welcome to Babylon. Verse 24 uh, is often misunderstood. And eye for an eye, a, a tooth for a tooth. I mean, most people have heard of that from this passage. And many think that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus totally rejects all of that. And he doesn't necessarily. Dr. Wright correctly points out that this law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, restricts vengeance. Because someone may say, well, you hit my wife when she was pregnant and they both came out fine, but I still want to kill you. Because I have an anger issue. I don't like you. And the Bible says, well, you can't just take out vengeance however you want. There has to be a restriction. You can't say an eye for a tooth or a life for an eye or a life for a tooth. You can't do that. That may be how the Egyptians live, as Moses found out when one of them was being whipped. That may be how the Babylonians live. But we're not going to take vengeance however we see best. There is a limit. There is a restriction on the consequences to sin that's governed by God's law and not by our anger. So therefore, vengeance is limited in the Lex Talionis. But also, Dr. Wright rightly points out that this obviously wasn't necessarily taken literally, as in lots of Israelites were walking around with half their teeth missing and with one eye is to say that the vengeance has to be comparable to the crime. Which is what Jesus is arguing as well. But the life of the mother, the life of the one who has not been born, is to be respected and protected. What about injuries or death caused from our animals? Because that's going to happen in an agrarian society versus 28 to 36, sometimes someone's animal will injure someone else or someone else's animal. And if a person is killed by accident, the animal's killed, the owner is not liable. If the ox was known to be a problem and killed someone, then the owner is put to death. However, the death penalty can be commuted in this situation for a financial ransom. Verses 33 through 36 deal with financial compensation for the loss of each other's animals. All of these areas of life matter. You understand why if you build a pool in DeSoto County, you have to have a fence around it? Exodus chapter 21. You're liable for your stuff. Especially if it causes harm to someone else. Because life matters. But why? Why does life matter so much? Why is life being upheld higher in Israel than in Egypt and in Babylon? 
Life is from the Lord. It's a gift from the Lord. He's the one who brings forth life. Life is precious, especially human life. Because of Genesis chapter 3, we're made in the image of God after His likeness. Even though there's the fall and there is sin, we're not like animals. We're set apart. Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. They're told in Leviticus, don't eat the blood of the animals because that's representative of life. And I've given you the blood to make atonement for your sin. Why are we taking each other's lives? We have a problem with sin. And this is all sin management, in a sense, with people who are professing to be believers. But God says, the life is in the blood to make atonement, which is pointing forward. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 says, animal blood can't take away sins. It's pointing forward. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, Christ can and did. He took the ultimate death penalty that we might have life and live a life of holiness and following Him and preserving life. This is why Leviticus 19 says, Be holy for I am holy. Stand up against the life or for the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. An implication of having your life spared by the Lord is standing for the life, not simply of your family or your friends, but your neighbor. What do we learn? Our life matters. Our disputes matter. Who decides all of these disputes in the Old Testament? Well, father-in-law Jethro has already told Moses, there's going to be a lot of disputes with God's people. You're going to have to have elders. You can't do it by yourself. Verse 22 says, elders, are deciding all of these disputes. So in the matter of life, in the matter of damages, in the matter of injury, all of these things are ministry. Of course, we recognize in today's culture, we have a civil magistrate who helps us deal with all of these things to whom we report when we need to. But it's very clear that this is the work of the church to step in into conflict. We, as leadership, cannot say, hey, I'm not involved. You just work it out and knock each other's teeth out. You just figure it out yourselves. I got too much going in my own personal life. I can't get involved. No. This is all ministry. This has to be dealt with. And God, in the midst of all of this, says it's going to be dealt with. But all of these categories of people, from womb to tomb, have rights, have issues, have needs, concerns, and cares that are real, that are addressed. Whether they're rich or poor, male or female, in the womb, 
or elderly. It's all going to get taken care of in Israelite judicial courts because life is precious. What about the property? Even the property is going to matter in verses 1 through 20. But what about theft? General theft, verses 1 through 4. Basic theft, the only reason capital punishment we use in the case of theft would be verse 2, when a thief comes at night. When compared to other ancient Near Eastern laws, these multiples for fines are much lower in Israel. They double. Pay this. In other countries and nations, it was pay, pay ten times what you stole, which would have put someone in perpetual poverty and never been able to pay. Not so for common thieves in Israel. What about negligence in verses 5 to 6? Cases of negligence are dealt with here as an extension of verses 33 and 34 to point out that even accidental damage of property must be considered. Your ox was in that field and you didn't know it and it ate up all the corn. You got to deal with it. No excuses. This is how much the Israelites are supposed to care about each other, loving their neighbor themselves. Life wasn't at stake. It was just property. But that's my neighbor. I'm affected if my neighbor is messed up even through negligence and I didn't even do it intentionally. Damages have to be dealt with. What about disputes over goods in verses 7 to 15? There's so many instances. You lend someone something or let them keep it for you for a bit. Maybe a piece of property, maybe some some goods, maybe some animals, they come up missing. You all go to the sanctuary to work it out with the Lord, to the priest and the elders. That's what's prescribed, verses 7 to 15. There has to be some type of conflict resolution, a process under a plurality of elders, under accountability, all of whom are sinners, and it has to be dealt with. What about daughters? Verses 16 to 17, a situation, a daughter who has consensually had sex before marriage. Restitution is made to the father for his financial loss from the potential bride price as she may not be able to get married. And so therefore, the father can say to the man, well, guess what you're going to do? You're going to marry my daughter. Or the father could say, You're not going to marry my daughter, and you're still going to pay. That situation, in a sense, happened in my previous church, where a young man who had basically been raised by the men and women of our church came into my office because, uh, you know, had been known throughout the community that he got someone pregnant. Uh, They they weren't married. And so uh, a deacon joined me in my office who basically helped raise this man. And we had a conversation with him about responsibility and marriage. And the conversation did not go well because he was not really deciding whether or not he wanted to marry this girl that he had gotten pregnant. And we said, I think you already did decide that. It didn't go well. Accountability was lost. 
and shepherding pursuit occurred. But the women and the girls in Old Testament Israel are going to matter. They're going to be protected as valuable individuals of the community. What about capital punishment in general? Verses 18 through 20. There's cases of sorcery, which was usually associated with a fertility cult of some other religion, bestiality and idolatry. These are essentially, as we can understand it, three direct attacks on God himself that can't be tolerated, even though the surrounding cultures are tolerating these types of things and saying it's okay. God says no. And they have to be dealt with. But why does, why does property matter so much to God? All of their property is a gift. Their ability to go and live in the land is a complete and total gift. It's not their land. It's God's land. They were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage. They're going through Sinai. They're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. Why? Because God's going to give it to them. It's all a free gift. Everything that you and I actually have is a gift. Your clothing, your car, your house, your job, it's not yours. It's been loaned from the Lord Himself who owns cattle on a thousand hills. You don't get to decide. How are you going to spend your money? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? All this. It's the Lord's. So is your life. Everything is the Lord's. He gets to tell us how to use it. But there's great joy in that because Ephesians 1.14 talks about the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Then he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? There is something even more that's going to be given to us. And it's all a free gift, but it's a spiritual inheritance given to us by Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Maybe not financially, but certainly spiritually. So that the Israelites after the Exodus and us after the crucifixion, we don't have to care only about ourselves or only about our stuff but about other people and their stuff and upholding God's law even when it corrects our sinful hearts. In summary, Dr. Wright would say, life is more valuable than property. Property does matter. Damage and injury require careful compensation. Justice should be proportional and there should be equality before the law. And it's all on us as well, these general principles, to walk in newness of life, in obedience to these things, to preserve life in all of its aspects, and to care so much about other people that we would even care about their own property and protecting it. Because Jesus considered his life forfeit and his own clothing on the cross was stolen 
so that by his poverty, we would be rich. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, we ask for help in applying arcane Old Testament laws to our own current context, but maybe may we love our neighbor as ourselves with regards to how we protect and preserve the life of each other, the property of each other. Free us from selfishness, from greed, from wanting more and more and stepping over or on each other, maybe even literally, that we would love our neighbor because you have loved us. Christ, then we pray. Amen.